We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Stevenson for three. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kush with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Drops it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning is Brissette. Pounds it home. It to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. All right, everybody. What's going on? Welcome back to another episode here of Setting the Pace. And Fachi is not here to join me today, but I am joined by the one and only Scott Agnes. Scott, thanks so much for joining today. Thanks, Alex. Always good to be on with you, man. Yeah, so let's just kind of go back a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, I guess, you know, back to when the Pacers traded Karis LeVert. Um, just kind of walk me through. Obviously, we thought a LeVert trade was going to happen. Um, so your thoughts on the LeVert trade overall and what you what you uh, thought the Pacers got back in return? Yeah, I, I liked it. I thought they did very well and, and kind of maximized what they could. And it was a little odd, right, of course, being in Cleveland and – you know, it being finalized while he was walking into the arena and in the, and then going to the Pacers locker room briefly and, and things like that before returning to his hotel and not flying on with the Pacers, kind of that short stint being done. And I think it really encapsulated kind of his tenure with the Pacers, which I guess I'll personally remember as a life-saving trade for him. Yeah, That's what it comes down to. And I think so because of that, he'll always hold Indy in his time with the Pacers with a great affinity. But it was clear he had a different way of doing things and didn't really mesh well with Rick Carlisle. And so, as I've been saying for months, it was inevitable he was going to be the first to be traded, and then he was. Yeah, I think when we had you on, I asked you, like, percentage-wise, what you thought it was, you know, percentage-wise who would get traded. I think you said, like, I think you might have said 80%. I'm not sure, but you were you, the highest was on Karis LeVert. And, yeah. and then we were talking about Turner and Sabonis, and 
I don't know why, but you know, we didn't, I guess we didn't give it enough of a possibility that Sabonis would actually get traded. But when it came down to seeing Sabonis was dealt to Sacramento, were you a little bit surprised by that? Or, or was it something that you had kind of known the Pacers might do? No, I think it was because circumstances changed when you know, when you knew, or if you knew, which many in the league did not, that Halliburton was available, then you start to rethink your offer. And so mm-hmm. then you're willing to depart, for example, with a Sabonis, I think, in a bigger package type deal. Meanwhile, though, if, for example, they got De'Aaron Fox for Sabonis, I'd be saying a little different uh, things here. Um, and so it just came down to that package, whereas it's going to cost you Sabonis to to get your point guard of the future. And I love that they did this because I've I've been calling for them to get a true point guard here for years. And so they finally have. And I mean, so far, even a shortened roster and guys in and out of the lineup and without, you know, Miles Turner manning the paint defensively, we've already seen how significant of an impact Tyrese has had. And he's just two years into his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you actually messaged me on that. I think it was that day. And you were like, you're going to love Tyrese. He's a really special oh, yeah. player. Yeah, 100%. And I love the what, dude as a human. And, and by the way, sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. I just think fans are going to really, and you're seeing some of it, but how much he embraces being here, his Midwest roots, um, his family here. He already has a girlfriend. He, he kind of fits the bill here. And on top of that, he has an outgoing, fun, enjoyable personality. Similar, I would say, to Victor his first few years here before he changed a little bit. And so... You know, Tyrese post game or in, in our practice interviews, you can take the conversation different routes and he's got a smile on his face. He's he's figuring things out for the first time as an NBA player. And I wouldn't say he's necessarily a leader just yet, but I think he's willing to take on being the face of a team, which I think they have lacked since probably Victor and certainly since Paul. And that's something that they've needed on top of everything else. And so he embraces that. He loves that. Uh, he's got a joyfulness to him. That's really just been lacking here. Yeah, and I think he's a great interview, especially if you compare him to Sabonis. Uh, no knock on Domas. It's just I, I love how Tyrese just so authentically answers each question. And, you know, even just a little bit of time here in Indiana and hearing him make his media rounds talking about the trade, it's easy to fall in love with the human being that he is and just how he presents himself. But you talked about it. You know, the Pacers finally have their a true point guard. Kevin Pritchard called him the point guard of the next decade for this Pacers team. But I also recall when we had you on a couple of times ago, Malcolm Brogdon thinks he's the point guard, sees himself as only a point guard. Now that he has to share those roles, I guess you could say, with Halliburton, do you anticipate there being any issue there? Or do you think, you know, you're going to rely, we're going to see Brogdon kind of transition a little bit into playing off ball more, but also playing on ball a little bit, just not as much. Yeah, I think it's that latter point. It's it's clearly Tyrese's show. Um, I think Malcolm, whether he's liked it or not, has had to concede a little bit. And in fairness, some of that probably due to injury. It's probably better for him not to have the workload that, you know, even simply bringing the ball up or dealing with pressure if a guy is pressing, right? Little things like that, that stuff adds up. Whereas if he can just run down the court, help initiate the offense, maybe call out the play or be in the corner, I kind of view him as similar to George Hill in the latter stages of his time with the Pacers where he kind of had his his time where he can pick and choose. It might be a corner three or as a second or third option, he might attack. And that's something this team still needs. And he did quite well, I thought, in his game Sunday against the Celtics where he didn't hesitate and several times would attack and either make that nice little runner, which 
without him and without Karras and without TJ Warren, the Pacers don't really have that mid-range guy. So he fills that void a little bit. He can get to the free throw line, which the Pacers need to do a better job at. But I think there's no doubt that this is Tyrese's show. And I think come the offseason, they'll probably look into what they can get for Malcolm. I think that would be very likely. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting because it feels like Carlisle has just been singing the praises of Brogdon since he's returned. I think after the OKC game, he said, I love that guy. And then I believe Alex, after, you know what that reminds you of, right? What he was saying about Lavert. <laughs> that's I, that's what there I've been talking go. about on the podcast. I there said, you go. He's been really praising him. And I was laughing because as I was listening back to the Celtics press game thing, he legit said that Brogdon is their best uh, perimeter defender and he can guard one through four and even some fives at times. Uh, not like necessarily one-on-one, but he said he can handle the switch pretty well one through five. And I just kind of started laughing. I was like, okay, like I get it that you want to give him some high praise because there's potential to be, uh, you know, to move on from him. But I really just was curious, you know, from the short sample size we've gotten, do you think that Tyrese and Malcolm could fit together if that's the route the Pacers end up going, uh, this off season? Yeah, last thing with Rick. I yeah, I noticed that as well. And I was just I was just smiling. We're by the <laughs> way, we're no longer having to wear masks at games. So oh, cool. I gotta be careful because now Rick or other media, for example, could see me where I'm kind of smirking to myself uh, as a reaction. But I'm sitting there going, Oh, all right, all right, this is where we're going with this. We're gonna he's the best player on the team, and you know, he, we're so happy to have him and you know, he does everything for this team and, you know, one of the best players I've coached recently. Okay, let me let me uh, put plant that in the back of my mind. I heard that for a month and a half about Karis LeVert and then he was dealt. So I think Rick has a, a strategy is my guess. I don't know this, but that's my guess with all of this. Um, and then moving forward, I think, yeah, for the rest of the year, I'd like to see a lot of Tyrese and Malcolm play together. I think it'd be fun. I just think in the big picture, they're down two different paths to where it doesn't much make sense. It's why you move off a guy like Justin Holiday and Jeremy Lamb, guys already in their 30s who are more geared towards playing off the bench and looking for championships than uh, versus you know a guy like Isaiah Jackson who just needs valuable reps and is barely into his NBA career. I think you have two different molds here. And so I think if they had to coalesce, if they had to play together and they were you know 21 and 25, they could make it work. But because of all those other factors, I just don't think maybe it's even worth trying to make it work because on top of that, Brogdon's owed $20 million for the next three years each. So yeah. you can you can make those changes, upgrade the roster in doing so. And I think a point that the Pacers finally made with those trades is in a good way, they moved on from what they were trying to do over the last three or four years. They conceded. It didn't work, or better yet, we don't know if it was going to work, but we're, we're done. To go back to my previous analogy, we're done throwing back in the microwave, Alex. Yeah, we're done yeah, with that. the pizza. <laughs> the, throw the pizza away. Time to time to go online and order that brand new one, and I think that's what they did with Tyrese and others. Right, and so this is, this is kind of interesting, too, because another guy that's a little bit uh, in that same age group as Malcolm Brogdon could be older. We don't really know. That's Buddy Heald. Mm-hmm. Um, he's looked really good for the short stint, the seven games that he's been here. It's just an interesting dynamic, though. It seems like he fits Carlisle's system pretty well, but at the same time, similar to Malcolm, the age just doesn't really match up with the direction of what this team is heading. So uh, do you think he's a long-term fit here, or do you think he could be in the same boat as Malcolm as someone they look to move in the offseason? Yeah, I, I, I think 
is a guy you try to repurpose and and send elsewhere, um, especially because there's probably some contending teams that let's take the Lakers before this season. They were about to make that move before LeBron and a few others pushed them. No, we want Russ. Like that's why Woj reported it. It was about to happen. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you know, a playoff team, contending team, previously at least, like the Lakers, <laughs> were willing to d- make a deal for him and and trade those ass- assets, which was uh, you know those those several guys that went off and are now like, excelling with the Wizards a little bit, um, with like Kuzma and Caldwell Pope, and I think you'd take two or three different guys like that or more draft assets, um, and then. It would be interesting because then you move off. If you'd move off Brogdon and Heald, for example, that's roughly $43 million, I want to say, per year total uh, between those two. You'd get younger. You'd get some draft assets. You'd maybe get a couple budding stars, or at least you'd hope. Now, I will say, though, I love what Buddy adds because he adds a dimension this team has struggled with, which is shooting, which is knockdown three-pointers. And he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league right now, statistically. And we all know they need that. But... Again, I just think the timelines don't exactly overlap to where it makes it reasonable to carry on. Yeah, I mean, really, all the guys, since we've brought them over, the new guys have shot well, I think. Uh, I looked it up this morning. Halliburton shooting 46.8% well, excellent. Excellent. from three. Yeah, he's 46.4, and I was going to bring him up yeah. uh, because obviously everybody knows or, or they're at least somewhat aware of the limitations the Pacers have in terms of trying to retain him for next season, only being able to offer him what he's making now and number one I just really think that's a dumb rule I understand that Phoenix should be penalized but if they trade him I feel like that you know penalty should be waived should still be an unrestricted free agent but I feel like the Pacers should be able to offer him more but that's besides the point uh do you think that there's any chance he comes back next year and and takes that deal and then maybe they can work something out the year after or do you think he just takes the money wherever he can get it no I think if you're Jalen you take the best offer available yeah. And it's not going to be here. Yeah. So what will then what's the purpose of playing him more minutes than maybe someone like a Gogo Batadze or a Terry Taylor if you know he's not going to be a long-term part of your future? That I don't necessarily understand. But in part of it, not more minutes, but why he's playing a ton is just because they're shorthanded. I mean, I think they finished the game in Orlando with eight guys that were available, if I remember correctly, because Duarte exited early with an injury and Jalen Smith got ejected after a couple technicals, so they were short on bodies. I want to say they had eight guys left, but nonetheless, that that's what it comes down to is player availability right now. But, no, I've been on the train of you start Goga and you play him and Isaiah minimum 20 minutes per game. If they foul out, don't care. They need the 20, 25 minutes per game because even – I forget who, which it was, but there was a game a couple games ago where, like, Isaiah picked up two quick fouls, um, you know, mid-first quarter, then they took him out. I'm like – Guess what? He didn't foul out at the end of the game. So in turn, you fouled him out and didn't allow him to play his minutes. And right now, again, wins and losses don't matter. It's about eval- this is what I wrote today. It's player evaluation and getting guys opportunities and learning through adversity. Even with Jalen, learning that you can't talk to Mark Davis the way he did to earn two technicals. That's something he wouldn't know about because he wasn't playing in Phoenix really. And so that's what the final twenty games or so is about here. Yeah, and it's just interesting because there's. You know, he's a good player. I think you see a lot of potential in him, and I think fans have grown to really enjoy what he's brought to the table. I'm just though- stunned by what Phoenix decided there because yeah. that doesn't make sense. There's 
been very few players in NBA history who haven't had their third year picked up. Yeah, Fourth yeah. year, I kind of can understand. Pacers shouldn't have done TJ Leaf, but I'm not going to second guess them because we learned from Solomon Hill. Therefore, I, I think we would have called them out if they did not pick up TJ Leaf. And of course, Solomon Hill, that was, that was like 2015, I want to say, mm-hmm. didn't pick up his fourth year option. And that was the best thing ever for for him as he and, and Jan Mahimi went, it, went in free agency in that one big year where everybody got paid Evan Turner, and made Portland. life fortune. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's just interesting because I don't know if you agree with me or not, but don't you think that penalty is kind of dumb for the team that trades for him? Because to me, it's like the Pacers aren't the ones that decline that option. I understand they're inheriting uh, that, that contract or whatever the penalty is from that contract, but I just feel like there should be a – a, a way that the league's like okay if they trade him then that doesn't that penalty is not held to the team that trades for him because I feel like one that would help uh Phoenix in a sense get more of a that player would become more of an asset I guess you could say if that's the case yeah they would have got more value for him um mm-hmm. because of that if you had more control but keep in mind the other side while that would make sense and I'd be for that you also have the NBA Players Association arguing hey you gave up on our guy and actually if my guy bets on himself and doesn't get that option picked up, but outperforms his contract, now he hits free agency two years earlier than most guys, will get paid and has a chance to earn even more um, just because you don't believe in him. So it's it's a tough call there. i just not sure. I, I feel like he didn't get enough opportunity in Phoenix where you would even make the decision to decline it because based on what we've seen from a small sample size – is he's easily worth four and a half million. That's why I think there's no doubt in my mind that another team will at minimum pay that. I mean, think about a, a, a younger, you know, terrible team like a Houston, for example, or Orlando. Why wouldn't you take on a guy like Jalen Smith if he becomes something over the next two years special? Guess what? You can trade him and, and capitalize on that value or, or get creative with his contract. So that's where it becomes difficult for the Pacers. But I do understand from the Players Association why they wouldn't like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then speaking of a guy that got his fourth-year rookie option picked up was Goga Batadze. Um, it's just been kind of a rough stretch here, it feels like, for Goga. Even after they traded Sabonis, they bring in Tristan Thompson. You got Terry Taylor on the bench. You got Jalen Smith they traded for. And it just seems like Goga continues to be, you know, in and out in consistent minutes and not really getting a consistent run here. So what is what is a long-term goal here with Goga? Do you think he's a part of this team's future? I don't think he's part of the team's future and primarily because he doesn't fit the playing style and the mold of what Rick Carlisle is trying to do here. Um, you can just see he's a little slower, not as athletic, not as lengthy. Um, he does provide something different that the team's lacking right now, especially as miles out it is in the Eastern conference where you do have some bigger bigs, right? With Joel Embiid and what probably uh, Deandre Jordan back into the fold and Andre Drummond, Brooke Lopez, he would be a serviceable backup potentially, but you brought up a good point with Tristan Thompson. And by the way, I commend Tristan. I thought he came in here. I thought he would pout, be annoyed, not even wear his uniform. In turn, he went through like photo shoot and a video. He recorded videos for the team open as if he was going to be here for the full season, which it was clear he wasn't. But he did all that, never complained. And I think he was very good kind of middleman and helped ease in Tyrese Halliburton in particular, after basically, you know, feeling for the first time in his career, let's say rejected or not wanted, even though that not necessarily the case because they were upgrading with Sabonis, but they all made that transition together, came here and were together for what, 10 days or so. 
and then Halliburton was to take the keys. But to the bigger point was I had no idea outside of maybe trying to make him and Heald more comfortable on the floor because that trio played together a little bit is there's no reason to play Tristan or Jalen ahead of Isaiah or Goga, for example, or Terry Taylor for that matter. Right. Um, because those guys could be part of your future, whereas the others won't at all, and you already know it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was just so puzzled by because I'm yeah. like, why is Tristan Thompson getting like 20-some minutes in this game? Like, I get it. Like, he's probably the better player overall at this point in his career, but, like, it's not part of the process of trying to develop, like Rick Carlisle said. But um, I will say this. I did tune into the Bulls game. Like, I think Tristan Thompson's first Bulls game, and I think Stacey King, within, like, his first rebound, was calling him Dennis Rodman. So oh, uh, <laughs> so the Bulls, uh, the Bulls television broadcast was getting very hyped for the offensive rebounding of Tristan Thompson. But um, let's move over to some of the guys that have been here for a while now. We already talked about Brogdon, but uh, looking at McConnell, looking at um, looking at TJ Warren, and then looking at Miles Turner, do we anticipate seeing any of those three players back this year getting any action before the season's over? 
I don't think so because I'm not sure any of it makes sense, especially, for example, let's start with McConnell. And that's one thing I wrote during All-Star break is because he had just gotten his black cast off. And so, for one, that was a just kind of an update. He was in a sling for a few days. But then secondly, it's like, hold on, picture his timeline. All right, so, he, so the team returns from All-Star break late February, let's say February 22nd. And he hadn't really been doing much outside of conditioning and, and running lines and, you know, on the treadmill. It probably takes three or four weeks minimum to ramp up for him to play a week. You know, that just doesn't make sense. And you're not even in the playoffs. So then let's throw that out. Secondly, Miles Turner, he's practicing some shooting mostly, but it's very light. Bigs, feet, you don't want to mess with. You're not, again, helping in the short term. I see no need. And TJ Warren, I've kind of changed my tune on. I thought I was kind of expecting him to get some playing time potentially last month, meaning February, did not. So now late in the season, I I would presume we won't see him. And that's probably mainly because if I'm his agent, I'm not putting him out there. You don't want any kind of risk before he becomes an unrestricted, unrestricted free agent, excuse me. And so... It'd be interesting now, and I'm not sure anybody has a clear indication of what his value will be come the summer. I think with the Pacers, you know, they de they deserve the first shot considering they've basically paid him two years' salary to not contribute anything. Are they willing to run it back with him? At what cost? Are you able to sign him on something small for a couple years, including a team option, um, with you accepting some risk in the year one? Or do you pivot and say, hey, you know what? It worked out for that one year, that bubble year. He was terrific. But again, we want to move past the health issue. So I guess to say all that, Alex, I don't think there's a clear picture just yet on his circumstance. And personally, I don't have a clear picture either because I want to see from my own eyes. Like him, he hadn't done five on five. He's done some one on one and looks as good as I guess you can look in a one on one. But that doesn't replicate anything you're doing in a game and working with guys and I th I'm just guessing here off the top of my head. I think if he returned to the court right now, I think he's probably played with like two guys. Like, yeah. That's it among the guys that are able to play right now. And so there's no familiarity there. Um, so I think, I think the Pacers will consider bringing him back, but I don't think there's any sure things with TJ at this point, just because there's so much unknown. Mm -hmm. No, well, I think he, I think he fits a position of need that this team desperately needs. Um, just what he's able to defend, you know, who he's able to defend and guard and what he can do offensively. We know what he can do. I mean, he was a three-level scorer to some degree yeah. with this team, especially in the bubble. So there is intrigue to bring him back, especially if it can be on, like you said, a team-friendly deal. Because... I think if you throw away the health aspect, I don't think there's a debate. Like, he fits in very well here, right? The only thing is shooting and all yeah. that would be great. It's just the health issue, and that is a huge elephant in the room. Right. The, the, the health is massive, and I also think the age. I mean, he's 28 years old, right? So... Does he fit long-term? I know Brogdon's 29. Uh, Turner is 25. He'll be 26 here this month. So, you know, I think he fits a little bit closer to this timeline of what the Pacers are trying to do as he's still entering into his prime. But with all these injuries, I mean, I think I did some math on it a couple of weeks ago. Warren's missed like 65% of the game since he's yeah. been here. Turner's missed 25, 26%, and Brogdon was around 35%. So it's like, Seeing these guys and how injury prone they've been over the last three years, it's uh, it's a little bit worrisome. And I just I'm just curious, you know, uh, while I think Turner makes the most sense out of the the veterans that we brought up to to stay here long term because of his fit with the age and what he can bring to the table with 
protecting the rim, shooting threes, and giving him a chance to be that solo big. Do you think the Pacers continue to go down that route, or do you think there's a chance that they look to make maybe move him in the offseason? In terms of Miles? Yeah. I think I think right now the thought is that he's part of this group moving forward. And that's, in large part, that's kind of why I would like to see him for a couple of weeks here, because yeah. does he back up all that talk he said about having more of a, a focus and, and role offensively? And how does he fit in with Tyrese Halliburton, who can really get him open and, pa- and get passes to him and find him in the quarter off pick and rolls on the opposite side? Things like that, I think, would really be good for him. On this, on the along the same lines and similar to TJ Warren, you know how you get a stress fracture generally is first you get a stress reaction, an overuse injury. So, um, I, I don't think it's probably worth putting Miles back out there. But to your other point in terms of health and and this becomes now the second straight season where Miles probably doesn't finish it. Last year he had essentially that turf toe injury, and now a, a stress reaction. So you do have to have some considerations for his health and availability. And and I think, again, a lot of that comes down to if there is a, a great offer out there for you in the summer, you got to give it significant consideration because of all that. But throw away the health aspect, I, I think he's part of this core, and you'd really like how he would contribute, especially with this bunch defensively, where they've been among the bottom, one of the worst teams in the league all season long, even more so when he's been out, out there, meaning off the court. I mean, and with this team playing a little bit faster pace, do you think that that fits Miles' game more, or or do you think that that could be a problem with him having feet problems? I've never bought into that. I know that was a storyline. Like, how how does he run? And Andy Miller, uh, his agent at the time, had a study uh, showing you know his running style and all that type of stuff. I don't read too much into it. I, I think he would fit just fine in terms of how quickly they'd like to play. And if anything, I think. He, he fits that mold in, t- in terms of wanting to be a shooter. He could help stretch the floor, play inside or out. And let's say T.J. Warren does come back and is healthy. Well, T.J. Warren could operate in the, the high post area. Miles could be around the perimeter and play four out. There you go. And that's how you operate. So I see no problems in terms of that. It's just that health factor again. Right. And so I think the last puzzle piece here with Turner is the Isaiah Jackson uh, fit do they play well together I think that's something a lot of people want to see is Isaiah Jackson more of a power forward or a center or you know can they play together is he better solo would, would the team be better off you know investing in Isaiah Jackson long term as a center um, it just really depends to me on you know how they feel about Isaiah Jackson moving forward and what they give Turner extension wise because I don't know if you have like a number in mind but in terms of years do you think you know signing him to a four to five year deal is you know uh, a good or bad thing for this team in terms of turnover. Yeah, yeah, that's the other good point and important point in terms of Miles, meaning if you bring him back, you really ideally want to give him the contract extension and he'll really want a contract extension before next season begins. Um, you know, he's in his peak of his career, but big men have shorter careers. Like Roy Hibbert was out of the league before he was 30. It still baffles me, but that was absolutely the case. So in my mind, if you're the Pacers, you have to be willing to commit an extension to him if Miles is part of the, your future. Now, Isaiah absolutely, I think, is. I think he he's flexible enough. And, and Rick alluded to this the other day in terms of trying to get away from positionless basketball and more geared towards how you play on the floor and the matchups for the evening. Like, you might play five versus one team, but you're a four versus another, for example. But 
I think Miles, or excuse me, Isaiah, this this front office, Rick and his coaching staff really like what Isaiah does and how he provides a new dimension. He can shoot that three-point ball, though we're not seeing a ton of it uh, with this current group right now. But he, he strikes me as going through all those growing pains that we see any young player and especially bigs. It usually takes bigs at least three years to kind of adapt. And it's, it's striking to consider, like, Isaiah's what, like 20? Like, he'd be a sophomore at Kentucky right now. Right. So he is very young in his development. Think about Trace Jackson Davis at IU. He is older than Isaiah Jackson. And so this guy is not even close to his peak just yet. And so uh, they have, they have since the summer, had strong beliefs in Isaiah and the possibilities and dimensions he's he unlocks with this team. Yeah, I mean, that's a good, that's a good point, too, because if you do extend Turner for like a three- to four-year extension, by that point, you know, you might move on from after that extension, and then Isaiah is hitting his prime 24-25. Um, I think a lot of people are just so quick to rush into things. When yeah, they Isaiah's no way. Yeah, to that point, Isaiah Isaiah's not close to being the guy or the yeah. focal point or the center. He's at least a couple of years away from, from that. Um, and with Miles, even if you give an extension, much like Malcolm, it doesn't necessarily mean he finishes here. It just makes sense True. if you sign him to a good deal or a deal that will be seen as reasonable or tradable down the road. Yeah, because, I mean, me and Fachi have gone back and forth, and Fachi feels like the extension for Malcolm hurts his trade value, but I actually said I think it increases it just because I think having a guy on a good contract, you know, for multiple years is a, is a very positive thing instead of letting them be an expiring. But I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt at the time. It's it's look, it's a, a number that's decreasing with each year, and executives really like knowns. They know his contracts through the 24-25 season and how much it's going to cost them. So it clears up uh, any question marks, and they can kind of project as they're always trying to project one, two, three years in advance. And so Malcolm's a known quantity. You know he's going to be really good when he's out there. The big unknown is you know he's going to miss 30% of the season traditionally. And mm -hmm. can you swallow that? Can you tolerate that? Or say if you're a contending team, you're probably not willing to pay that much. But let's say you're in Orlando just because they're in Orlando right now. You're trying to rebuild. You maybe, maybe need a veteran out there, a guy that's experienced. I thought it was notable how Malcolm – and by the way, he's really hard to read because he's almost emotionless. Mm -hmm. So – I can't tell if he's disinterested, annoyed, ready for the offseason out there, or he's just like, all right, I'm just playing a game. Like, I, I don't want to make any assumptions because I just don't know. Whereas Tyrese, you can tell he's either pissed at himself or having a blast and just threw a fun alley-oop. That's one of the big contrasts between the two players. But I, I could see even a, a team on the, that's building up that has a lot of money to spend because they have a lot of young guys willing to toss 20 million Malcolm's way for a couple of years and – then it becomes an interesting trade target. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So I, I guess to kind of wrap things up here, there's three players I think we haven't talked about. Maybe I'm missing another one, but um, it's it's some of the guards we have not talked about yet, and that's Dwayne Washington Jr., Kiefer Sykes, and Lance Stevenson. Um, what are the odds that all three of those guys are back on the roster next year? I would say zero that all three. Uh, Kiefer, I'd say unlikely. Dwayne, I would say likely. And Lance a toss-up kind of depending on what they do at the guard position in the summer and how much Herb Simon wants him back. Yeah. I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of torn on what they should do with Lance because he's 31 years old. He doesn't necessarily fit like we've talked about with the other guys, right? But at the same time, what he means to the city and this fan base, I, I think he's 
in a place now where, you know, there's sometimes where he can be a little crazy on the court. We know that's Lance, but I just feel like he's been a much different player this time around. It seems like he's much more encouraging to these young guys and kind of understands the role that he's brought in here for. Yeah. And that was the big thing that Lance and his representatives have been stressing to teams the last several years is like, Hey, look, take a chance on him. He's a different player. He, he understands that he's not a featured guy, maybe not a starter anymore, but he, he's deserving of minutes. He'll, he'll advise the younger guys. He'll, he'll add an energy to your team. And I think he's created some emotion too. Like, yeah. like I was talking about with Malcolm, I feel like maybe the team followed his lead and in terms, it felt like January kind of as they dealt with a lot of the COVID issues and, you know, maybe up until the trade, like you couldn't read this team. I couldn't tell if they were having a good time out there or just trying to get through the day. Um, but now you're you're seeing him jump up and down and, you know, let's take TJ McConnell who can't play out there. He's strumming his guitar. And even though I don't like the guitar thing, but uh, oh, come on, Scott, no, the guitar thing's got to go. What? I don't you mind don't the shimmy. No, that never makes sense. Lance has never picked up a guitar in his life. Like, what are we doing? Come on, Scott, you're being too picky now. I am. I have that's, <laughs> that one made no sense to me. Like the shimmy, that's Lance. But nonetheless, <laughs> haven't you seen? Like he's created an energy, a spirit. It's still a little bit staggering to me that even now, like with Tyrese and other players, when he checks in, Lance still gets the loudest ovation of anyone. So he has that connection with the fan base. I think what it comes down to for me more than anything, honestly, Alex, is does he get in the way of development of other guys? If he and, and I just mean strictly from a playing time perspective. If he right. doesn't, then I think you bring him back. But if you know you move on from Malcolm and there's Tyrese and there's Dwayne and there's several other guys, Duarte, you throw in there, maybe Buddy or a couple other guys. If 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 he's taking up minutes that maybe could go to Dwayne, who's you know twenty three and a really good three point shooter most nights, and you need that, then I don't bring him back as much. Uh, I think that's strictly what it would come down to for me. Yeah, I, I hope he is back. I mean, just watching him hit that game tying three, you were there, Bankers Live Field. I mean, it was electric. Um, I was laughing because I had gotten tickets, and where I was sitting at, I was sitting right in front of the OKC owner, Clay Bennett. Had no idea that they were even at the game. you knew him or would recognize him because a lot of owners like Clay behind the scenes. Like, for example, I don't think OKC fans would know who Herb Simon is. Right. So here, no idea. Well, here's what I'll tell you. <laughs> I wasn't sure who it was, okay. but I was like, this guy looks kind of familiar. Um, so I actually like act like I was taking a picture of myself and got him in the background and then sent it to one of my OKC friends that does a podcast there. And I was like, hey, are any of these guys, any of these guys important go. here? Okay, that's fair. And so he was like, yeah, that's the owner. So I actually said something to him after the game and just kind of like wanted to pick his brain. I was like, what are you guys doing in Indy? You know, I was kind of surprised. Like, you know, OKC versus Indy, I know it's like a battle of the four spot for the Tankathon, but uh, why else would you be here? And he said they were there to check out the renovations of the field house. And uh, I asked him what he thought about him and he kind of said he wasn't a big fan of him. <laughs> said he likes the older style better uh just like the older feel of how it felt but you know said he understands why i am as well by the way yeah i i do miss the nostalgia of it there's not as much out there to get uh food wise stale yeah it's, it's not the stale is the word i keep going back to it's very corporate yeah it's not good food in my opinion either i mean probably chick-fil-a is the best thing out there but uh with, oh, that, being, yeah. with that being said uh you know we talked i asked him what he thought about the uh the sabonis uh, trade and he would not answer me so kudos to him i'm sure you want to get in trouble for any of that stuff. but man, because you never know who's who's podcasting out there or who's right. recording 
That was actually smart. Yeah. He said, I, I don't do trades. I'm just the owner. So I was like, all right, man. I was like, well, have a good one. You know, I would have, I would have kept that in house if he had said sure. anything about it, but you know, I was just trying to uh, have that conversation with him, but yeah. his reaction to Lance's shot was pretty funny. He smiled real big and was just kind of like, that was a great shot. And then when SGA hit that go ahead shot in overtime where he got the and one, Mm-hmm. He was like super stoked. I mean, he jumped up real big. I thought I was about to get a little Steve Ballmer going on behind me. Uh, how excited he got for that. But, you know, it was, a, it was cool to see Lance at that shot, going back to my original point. And so to wrap things up here, I'm going to ask you, I don't know if you paid any attention to the draft, what people are saying, what's out there. But knowing the Pacers are going to have a good pick, I'm sure uh, that's somewhat enticing to you. Do you think there's a fit or a player out there that would make some sense for this team? One last thing on uh, that Lance thing. Yeah, that was a lot of fun, but that was also a perfect example of why I miss the locker rooms and why reporters need to get back in there because Lance mm-hmm. wasn't made available post game. Like, can you imagine what he was saying post game or either his disappointment for going 0 5 in overtime or thrilled that he forced overtime and then teammates could be giving him a hard time or having fun with him? Like, those are the things I miss reporting on. But to your point, I'm not there yet uh, draft-wise. Uh, I'll be at Big Ten Tournament all next week and obviously get a look at Jay Nivey and, and be fo- following more. But this is – this is I was having this conversation with another media guy today. It's like, this is different for me. This is a pivot point. Usually, I don't concern myself too much with the draft because they're 20th, they're 18th, and nobody has any clue what the Pacers are going to do at 18. You could probably pick five to seven different guys and maybe be okay. Um, But now the realistic possibilities have the Pacers top five, right? And that'll be the first time since 89. So, no, I have not turned my focus or paid too much attention to that, um, but need to step them up. So I can't help you there just yet. Okay. Okay. Well, I will just tell you this. I don't know why, but it's just kind of like a gut feeling. You ever have those? I I do, but... Uh, my gut feeling is that if the Pacers don't land in the top four, that they will try to trade up into the top three to top four to go get a guy that they want. Because I think just reading the tea leaves, obviously Carlisle wants to win big. He's not here to rebuild all the way. Obviously, I know this team's in a different spot now because of the bad season we had. But I also thought it was interesting that Kevin Pritchard was like super like, if there's a guy out there that we want, we're going to go get him. <laughs> you know, and we we do that pretty often and we are successful in that. So I thought to myself, like, Putting two and two together, I could see where that makes sense. If there's a guy they really want, I, I can see them giving up somewhat of good draft capital or a player and potentially to move up in the draft. I don't know if you agree with that or if you have any, any thoughts on that, but I'm curious if you do. My only thought of that was I didn't get much out of that Kevin Presser press conference. I haven't even wrote about it. I'm still debating if I need to. <laughs> I've mostly viewed that as Kevin speaking to the fans. One thing that was frustrating to me is – there was none of the key questions that were asked. Like he was asked, I don't know, how important is this draft? Well, no shit. It's a huge draft. They haven't drafted inside the top 10 since we were born. Like, of course it's huge. The things we needed to clear up was, is Rubio coming over here? No. Is Tristan Thompson going to be bought out? He eventually was. Like, what is this path? I, I don't know. To me, I, I felt like it was a burger without a patty. We just had some fluff and some ketchup and fans. We've changed our direction, but I'm going to re-listen to it here, but I just felt like there was not much to it. And, and maybe that, that was by design here. I mean, the first question went to an intern, like it just didn't feel really productive to me. And I didn't like the fact it was not only done on a Friday, but it was done on a game day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are you telling me the game doesn't matter because I need to write about the press? I don't know. 
that 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 whole situation bothered me to the point where I didn't think I got much out of it. But uh, I could be wrong there. Yeah, so I mean, therefore, I didn't read too much into anything he said other than admitting it was time to move past the last group just because of health. It's unfortunate we never saw it exceed like we thought it would, which I think is all fair. Yeah, I thought it was interesting when he said, finally, you know, enough is enough. I thought that was like one of the biggest points that stood out to me because it's like, you know, we've been hearing about what this team was going to do. You know, we've heard a lot of trade rumors, but nothing ever happened. And it was just kind of like boring. It felt like they kept running back. Well, that's a whole different thing. Like trade rumors, the, the Pacers usually aren't putting too much out there. Right. And so they're trying to get involved. Like I reported, they tried to get Ben Simmons. But now, in hindsight, how stupid would that look if Philly traded, you know, Ben Simmons for Malcolm Brogdon and Sabonis and a second round pick or something? Like, yeah. You can try to get in on all that, excuse me, but it doesn't mean it's realistic. And so I think things worked out well. Pacers were patient. And, and then they pulled the trigger on and Karras and, and, and Sabonis and that group. Um, I thought they did a nice job at the trade deadline. Yeah, no, I, I think so, too. I thought all the trades were wins for the team. And honestly, you know, looking at Sacramento, I understand it was not received well by everybody in the in the NBA. But, uh, you know, Sabonis is still a really good player. Um, you know, Jeremy Lamb's actually been playing decent for them. You know, not bad. I mean, Justin Holliday's looked okay. I think he's still trying to get his feet wet, trying to figure it out there. But clearly Sacramento is a team that is, you know, close to the Pacers. They're once again bottom dwellers in the uh, Western Conference. And it looks like it's going to be hard to pull out of that and get into a playing game by the end of the year. So um, it's, it's just interesting. I think that trade really caught me and a lot of people by surprise. And, you know, now we're headed in this new direction of Pacers basketball. But, Scott, uh, we talked a lot about the state of the team in the future. So I want to thank you so much for coming on and doing this and uh, probably going over the time we had allotted originally. Yep, no problem, Alex. Appreciate you having me on as usual. Absolutely. And real quick, can you go ahead and just plug what you would like to, uh, you, maybe your latest story, your podcast, anything that you'd like to plug before we sign off? Yeah, just just same as usual. I'm all at Scott Agnes on Twitter, on Instagram, and uh, all my stuff at fieldhousefiles.com and the Fieldhouse Files podcast. Awesome, man. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. I'm at Alex Golden NBA. My co-host, Mike Focci, is at underscore F-A-C-C-I. And we'll be back with you all later this week. 